Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 11th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A group of injured workers filed a class action lawsuit that alleges that many disabled California workers get less than their due simply because they're women. The case, if successful, could have ramifications around the country. The lawsuit alleges that injured female workers in California are denied equal disability benefits because of systemic gender bias. The case was brought against the state agencies that oversee the workers' compensation system by several women injured on their jobs, as well as the 700,000-member Service Employees International Union, and the plaintiffs are seeking a class action status. The suit claims permanent disability benefits are often reduced by apportionment to gender-based risk factors like menopause. And allegedly, some illnesses mostly associated with women, such as breast cancer, are considered less disabling than those that affect men. One of the plaintiffs, Janice Page, a corrections officer with nearly 30 years in law enforcement, was diagnosed with breast cancer and ultimately underwent a mastectomy. It was determined that Page contracted cancer after being exposed to toxins in the course of her work. But a medical evaluator adhering to the American Medical Association guidelines said that she had no permanent impairment. The guides give no impairment ratings to women who undergo a mastectomy past childbearing age even if they were found to have breast cancer because of work conditions. The impairment rating for a woman who can still bear children is up to 5%. Yet a man whose prostate is removed because of cancer is usually assigned an impairment rating of between 6 and 20% according to the complaint. And so she was denied permanent disability benefits. Page claimed at a news conference that it is not fair for her or her fellow female officers to be penalized because of gender. Christine Baker, the director of the Department of Industrial Relations, called the charges in the lawsuit misleading and superficial. She said the Department of Industrial Relations and its Division of Workers' Compensation take allegations of gender discrimination in the workers' compensation system seriously. The department investigated the examples they cited when the plaintiff's counsel sent a demand letter to the department last April. And Baker said that the examples did not support the inflammatory accusations of systemic gender bias. The department will vigorously defend the workers' compensation system against these unfounded accusations. The suit asks the court to find that such actions violate both federal and state law and to order the California workers' comp system to root out gender bias. In July 2012, the state fund filed a federal racketeering action against Dr. Alexander Zacks, Shana Khan, David Holmes, and Daniel Reyes and their various companies, and state fund's own former attorney, Bruce Roth. The fund alleged that Dr. Zacks decided to form several businesses in California's Central Valley in 2001 that focused on providing medical treatment to the region's agricultural workers. 
Dr. Zachs, along with Drs. Holmes and Reyes, formed the Accident Helpline Medical Group at the time. This group was staffed with doctors, chiropractors, and other medical professionals and focused on patients with chronic work-related injuries and associated pain. Zachs also established Mill Creek Surgery Center and Alta Surgery Center, where doctors performed outpatient surgery procedures. Zachs and a partner also owned Reliable Medical Supply, which provided medical equipment. And later in 2003, Zachs and his partners also created Valley Interpreting, a translation service for patients who spoke limited or no English. And Dr. Kahn owned the Kahn Entities, which conducted diagnostic testing for the group. The defendant Bruce Roth, a senior attorney with the state fund, was assigned to defend the state fund against the Zach's entities, WCAB liens. Suspecting possible fraud, attorney Roth led a 2004 investigation of the Zach's entities. Roth made a criminal referral of the case to the California Department of Insurance with the state fund's authorization. Based on Roth's referral and other insurance companies' reports, the California Department of Insurance initiated a fraud investigation of the Accident Hotline Group that it dubbed Operation Chicken. And the CDI's investigation led to indictments, but the indictments were eventually dismissed. Well, then in 2006, attorney Roth filed a petition with the WCAB to consolidate the Con entities and Zach's entities, which were 1,200 pending liens against the state fund. Attorney Roth represented the state fund against the Zach's entities in this WCAB matter from 2006 to 2009. In 2007, the party stipulated to resolve the WCAB liens in binding arbitration. But after losing on several issues before the arbitrator, attorney Roth settled the consolidated case with the Zacks defendants in 2009 without first gaining the approval of his manager at the state fund or the state fund's claim department. Once attorneys Roth's supervisors at State Fund learned of the settlement, they removed Roth from the case, contacted the Zacks entities, and disavowed the settlement on the basis that Roth lacked the authority. And the State Fund compelled Roth to resign in 2010. But then the State Fund entered into superseding settlement agreements with the Zacks entities for substantially the same amount of money. Then they filed the RICO case, and the centerpiece of the 2012 RICO action was to determine if there was a binding effect of the 2010 settlement agreements that purportedly released the parties from all claims. The state fund sought to avoid the 2010 agreement based upon various fraud and conspiracy theories. So, after filing the RICO case and after three years of litigation and extensive discovery, the Zacks defendants, the Kahn defendants, and attorney Roth filed three separate motions for summary judgment, all of which were granted, and the cases were dismissed. The court stated that the 2010 settlement agreements remain binding on the Zacks entities and the state fund. 
The federal judge ruled that the state fund has failed to prove the extrinsic fraud or connivance necessary to warrant rescission of those settlement agreements, which were freely entered into by the parties. At the time, there was no involvement from Attorney Roth, and the state fund had in its possession all of the evidence about the Zacks defendants' allegedly fraudulent lien claims. Now, following the successful summary judgment, the Zacks defendants filed a motion for attorney fees. And on July 6th of 2016, the federal judge awarded them nearly four and one-half million dollars in attorney fees. And now our fraud report. A Santa Barbara police officer charged with insurance fraud was competing in a strongman contest for at least two years while on paid injury leave. 27-year-old Jacob Finnerty, an officer since September 2011, began claiming workers' compensation benefits sometime after June 2013 when he reported that he hurt himself while on duty. But Finnerty's competition records date back to March of 2014 when he took home the bronze medal at the North American MAS Wrestling Absolute Championship in Columbus, Ohio. In November 2014, he traveled to Russia to compete with Team USA in the World MAS Wrestling Championships. And most recently, Fenerty won the March 26 California's Strongest Man Contest in Huntington Beach, in which he placed third the year before. In that strongman competition, Fenerty performed a series of lifting feats reminiscent of the Highland Games. He lifted a concrete atlas stone as many times as he could and beat out competitors in an event titled Farmer's Walk, Tire Flip, Said Sled Anchor, Chain Drag, Death Medley. In an event called Conan's Wheel, Finnerty lifted a weight attached to a pole and pivoted around a centerpiece. Finnerty was placed on unpaid leave as soon as the district attorney's office filed its May 24 criminal complaint. Of the four charges Finnerty faces, two allege he made false written statements related to a workers' comp injury, two allege false oral statements, and he pleaded not guilty to four felony counts. His next hearing date is scheduled for August 8. Several years ago, the Monterey County District Attorney obtained grant funding from the California Department of Insurance to create a disability and health care fraud unit. The unit pursues cases involving billing fraud, false disability claims, embezzlement, identity theft to secure health care benefits, prescription fraud, inflated or falsified pharmacy billing, outpatient surgery center fraud, and more. Some of the most common cases involve pharmacy fraud and identity theft. In those cases, someone will go to a hospital and pretend to be someone else in order to get treatment or a prescription under the other person's name. This can create expensive problems for the actual person whose insurance is billed and even potentially dangerous issues as medical problems are recorded for a person when they don't apply to them in the first place. The district attorney says that identity theft has the clearest example where there is danger. For example, 
In 2014, police officers responded to the community hospital of Monterey Peninsula after a doctor noticed that a person seeking emergency care had been treated before under a different name. The man, Julian Rosario, continued to ask for Vicodin and eventually admitted to using a false name to receive treatment and avoid paying the hospital bill that was more than $16,000. Two weeks later, the same doctor recognized Rosario again and called the police. After further investigation, it was found that Rosario had used pharmacy fraud and identity theft elsewhere as well to receive treatments totaling more than $73,000. In the end, he pleaded guilty to six felonies and three misdemeanors and was sentenced to five years of probation in a plea deal. Deputy District Attorney Amy Patterson is the prosecutor for the fraud unit. And for the past three years, she has prosecuted 28 cases related to health care fraud, many of which are fairly complex and time-consuming. The unit is now involved with its biggest case so far with Dr. Stephen Manger, who has been charged with 37 felonies related to health care fraud and unlawful prescriptions. Manger's office manager Maria Aloha Eclavia also faces 23 felonies. Their preliminary hearing is scheduled for August. That case alone involved about two years of investigation, as well as the review of tens of thousands of pieces of evidence. The prosecutor says that a lengthy investigation is often necessary to grasp the intricacies of the fraud. And as such, the fraud unit may only prosecute one or two of the larger cases each year. And sometimes the unit has to triage to decide how to do the most with its resources. And in regulatory news, the chair of the California Senate Committee on Labor and Industrial Relations identified fraud as a specter haunting the workers' compensation system in a recent letter to the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation. Specifically, the letter cited more than $1 billion in fraudulent activity by a variety of medical providers who are currently facing criminal charges. And medical bills and workers' compensation liens from doctors convicted of medical fraud are still being pursued. For example, Dr. Philip Sobel, who pled guilty in connection with his involvement with the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach, and is facing up to 10 years in prison, is still seeking payment, payment for treatment. Additionally, Sobel's medical license remains active. The medical board has yet to take adverse action. As a result, AB 1244 has been proposed to help combat workers' compensation fraud. Specifically, the proposed law seeks to create a suspension process for medical providers who commit serious crimes or are involved in fraudulent activity. Currently, there is no suspension process for medical providers in the workers' compensation system beyond removal from the qualified medical examiner list. AB 1244 would follow the lead of Medi-Cal and require the suspension of a medical provider if the provider is convicted of a felony, a misdemeanor connected to fraud, a misdemeanor connected to patient or privilege abuse, or the medical provider's license is suspended or revoked. The proposed law provides a hearing process where the medical provider can contest the applicability of suspension 
such as mistaken identity or a later plea deal that reduces a felony to a non-eligible misdemeanor. If the medical provider does not request a hearing, the suspension would take effect within 30 days of notice. The Division of Workers' Compensation has posted an interim status report on its efforts to promulgate regulations for an evidence-based workers' compensation drug formulary. The formulary must be adopted by July 1, 2017 and must be consistent with California's medical treatment utilization schedule. The DWC is required to adopt the formulary in consultation with the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation and with stakeholders. The legislation requires posting of a minimum of two interim reports describing the status of the formulary's creation. The status report says that the DWC has been considering a variety of approaches to the formulary in light of the goals and preliminary criteria. The DWC has been gathering information from workers' compensation system participants as well as other jurisdictions and payment systems to identify formulary issues and best practices, and it has been in consultation with the RAND Institute. A public meeting was held last February to discuss implementation. RAND researcher Barbara Wynn presented an overview of the formulary project at that meeting. All stakeholders had the opportunity to provide input on development of the formulary and implementation of the bill. The DIR director, Christine Baker, and other officials testified at the state capitol before the Senate Labor and Industrial Relations Committee and the Assembly Insurance Committee on the progress that has been made. Within the next few weeks, the DWC is expected to open another public comment period to allow all interested stakeholders to present further input. The DWC will post draft formulary regulations and the pre-publication RAN formulary report on the DWC forum webpage for public review and discussion. Formal rulemaking is expected to begin later this year so that the formulary can be adopted before the July 1, 2017 statutory deadline. Workers' compensation pharmacy benefit managers have been utilizing drug formularies for a long time, but only Washington, Texas, Ohio, and Oklahoma have state-regulated drug formularies in place. The recent success of the closed pharmacy formulary in the Texas workers' compensation system shows promise for other states. A report from the Workers' Compensation Research Institute concludes that, all things being equal, other states could see similar results. Additional information on the implementation of the drug formulary is posted on the DWC's forum and MTUS webpages. And in medical news, workers' compensation claims administration makes treatment decisions based upon scientific evidence. Injury AOE-COE opinions are supported by test findings that in turn are purportedly based upon the rigors of medical science. Treatment requests are filtered through the UR and IMR process, which is also based upon evidence-based medicine. All of this is based upon the assumption that physicians rely on rock-solid, tried-and-true science. Regrettably, this assumption may not always be the case. 
since its beginning more than 20 years ago. Functional Magnetic re, uh, Resonance Imaging, that's fMRIs, have become the popular tool for understanding the human brain. There have been more than 40,000 published research papers based on fMRI findings. Despite the popularity of fMRI as a tool for studying brain function, the statistical methods used have rarely been validated using real data. To validate the statistical methods commonly in use, researchers analyzed error rates for the most common fMRI software packages and published their findings in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Researchers found that the parametric statistical methods used for group fMRI analysis with the commonly used software packages can produce values that are erroneous, being spuriously low and inflating statistical significance. Researchers concluded that this calls into question the validity of countless published fMRI studies based on parametric cluster-wise inference. And many group results in the fMRI literature suffer even worse false positive rates than found in this study. Researchers concluded that a 15-year-old bug was found while testing three software packages. And what about the 40,000 published papers based upon the old software with the 15-year-old bug? Sadly, the authors say that it is not feasible to redo 40,000 fMRI studies. So, the results of scientific research in 40,000 published studies that draw conclusions upon fMRI studies are now questionable. That is a considerable amount of evidence-based medicine that may not be such good evidence after all. And according to another new study, more than 300 companies are marketing unapproved stem cell procedures at more than 500 clinics in the U.S. Stem cells found in embryos, umbilical cord blood, and adult bone marrow have the potential to develop into any type of specialized cell in the body. And stem cells can be used to help repair areas damaged by disease or injury. In the U.S., stem cell therapies generally require Food and Drug Administration approval before they can be marketed. And the FDA has only approved one product so far for blood disorders. But many clinics in the U.S. now advertise a variety of stem cell treatments that have not been approved. According to the new study, these range from cosmetic procedures like facelifts and breast enlargements to therapies for neurological diseases or sports injuries. Many of these marketing claims that advertised stem cell interventions that are safe and effective for the treatment of particular diseases raise significant ethical issues given the lack of peer-reviewed evidence. The researchers found 351 companies marketing unapproved stem cell procedures at 570 clinics in the U.S., most commonly, these clinics operated in California, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, and New York. These procedures are not heavily regulated because they use cells from a patient's own body. But 
Earlier this year, the FDA issued draft guidelines asserting that the stem cells used in most procedures are drugs and should require a rigorous approval process before they can be used. And new draft FDA guidelines will be discussed further at a public hearing in mid-September. In the meantime, the FDA cautions on the on its website to ask your physician if the necessary FDA approval has been obtained or if you will be part of an FDA-regulated clinical study. This also applies if the stem cells are your own. Even if the cells are yours, there are safety risks, including risks introduced when the cells are manipulated after removal. Medical treatment and workers' compensation is subject to the UR-IMR review process, which will use evidence-based treatment guidelines as a standard. Certainly, any request for authorization of a stem cell procedure should undergo this review. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.